And all the church said, you may be seated. If you'll just give me a, a second here. Um, this, is, this, this is so weird. Uh, but I'm having a moment of nostalgia because of a bulletin. Isn't it, isn't it great to have a bulletin? I mean, old church guy right here. It feels great to have a bulletin and to have in our hands something that, uh, you know, contains a lot of the information about our church family. And so I hope that you'll get one before you split today. Uh, Just a reminder, too, that on the inside, for the first time in a long time, we're putting in your hand. You don't have to go to the website. don't have to go to a link. You don't have to print or download anything. But there is our sermon outline. It's not the way that we used to do it in terms of blanks that you fill in and those kinds of things, but it is sermon outline that you can use to make notes and to look at as we're going through the message this morning. And as you know, we're starting a new series on building blocks. More on that just a second. Reminder two on the back, MPG, memorize, pray, glorify. And all of that, the MPG, will have something to do with what we've, we're talking about this morning in our assembly. You know, uh, we're talking about, um, you know, the, the basics of the faith and the building blocks. And, you know, the passage that Michael read just a couple of minutes ago from uh, Hebrews chapter 6 is just a reminder to all of us just how important it is for us not only to grow as disciples of Jesus, but to begin our life as a disciple of Jesus. And uh, through COVID, uh, you know, we've had to kind of uh, deal with with how we come back together and and all of these kinds of things for a long time it was not in person and now we're back in person and i i just want i just want you to think if if you have been coming for a while and have been thinking about giving your life as a disciple of jesus and being forgiven of your sins and receiving the gift of the holy spirit of being baptized of being confessed and all those sorts of things and you would like to get more information about that or learn more about our church I'm, I'm going to be down here at the front at the end of our assembly, and if you'd like to know what it means to become a disciple of Jesus, a Christian, then we would be more than happy. Maybe one or two of the elders can come down uh, to the front as well. And, you know, we want to talk to you about the most important decision of your life, and that is to be a disciple of Jesus. Now, as we said last week, we're beginning a series that we're calling Building Blocks. It's taken from the text that Michael just read out of Hebrews chapter 6. I want us to read it again, but I want us to do it in a different translation. This is the New Living Translation, and it goes like this. Let us, so let us stop going over the basic teachings about Christ again and again. Let us go on instead and become mature in our understanding. Surely we don't need to start again with the fundamental importance of repenting from evil deeds and placing our faith in God. You don't need further instructions about baptisms, the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. And so, God willing, we will move forward to further understanding. That's Hebrews chapter 6, verses 1 through 3 from the New Living Translation. You know, up here on the stage, what do you see? You see kids building blocks, right? Remember when you got those as a kid? It was one of the first presents you got, maybe one of even the first toys that you remember playing with. And what was so basic about them is, you, you know, you could stack them and you could make stuff, but you didn't even know you were learning when you were learning. And when you look at those basic building blocks that we got as a kid, 
Think about all the things you were learning and you didn't even know about it. You were learning your colors. Green is green, blue is blue, yellow is yellow, red is red. You were learning your numbers, one through nine. And you were also learning your letters. And remember, all of those things, even though you mastered them, I mean, you begin learning them with these building blocks early on, and you used them throughout all of life. You went to preschool, you went to kindergarten, you went to elementary school, you went to junior high, middle school, you went to high school, went to college, went to graduate school, maybe even got a Ph.D., But even if you've gone past all of that formal training and formal learning, I mean, you've been a a learner all your life. I mean, you always are reading something or pressing your mind, especially think about the Word of God. You're always pressing your mind into the Word of God, and it took letters and numbers for you to be able to get that understanding along with a teacher. But to read it yourself, you had to master those, those fundamentals. Now, that's what's happening, and you don't stay there, right? I mean, you just don't forget about them later on and and have to relearn them, but they become a part of what you do from that moment on. Now, this writer, and we don't know who he is. Maybe he's Paul. Maybe it's Apollos. I mean, nobody really knows. But the early church wrote, there was this letter that was circulated that we call Hebrews. It's a beautiful letter, probably a sermon. And in the sixth chapter, this writer says that there are six things that are fundamentals, or they're building blocks for your faith. You have to master these before you can move on to, to maturity. And he says these are the six. Repentance from evil deeds, faith in God, baptism, laying on of hands, the resurrection, which we looked at last week. We began with the resurrection since we started this series on Easter. And then number six is judgment. And again, the writer to the Hebrews says that these are the building blocks, these are the fundamentals, these are the ABCs to our faith. They are the beginning point. They are what get you started. They are what you begin to build your life upon, and and they stay with you for the rest of your life. And what is very important to remember about these building blocks is this. Up here on the screen, it's kind of our theme statement. You can't attain maturity until you retain the elementary. You can't attain maturity until you retain the elementary. Now again, we looked at the resurrection last week. This week we're going to think about repentance. And I want to begin in this way. I want to begin with this. A statement that you hear me say a lot. And the statement is this. that Life in the kingdom of God, that is, as a disciple of Jesus... Life in the kingdom of God is the best offer a human being will ever receive. I believe that with all of my heart. Life in the kingdom of God as a disciple of Jesus is the best offer. It is the best life. It is the the best thing that could ever happen to a human being. Now, because that's true, I could... I could never really understand the the uh, the, uh, the heel marks in the tile, all of the hesitation. When you become a disciple of Jesus, your life becomes richer in meaning. You are no longer just a human being, but a son or a daughter of God. There is a richness of significance that is attached to your life as a child of God. Purpose. There's spiritual resources that we have a hard time even imagining that are at our disposal to grow into the likeness of Jesus. But all of that begins with a personal realization. It begins with a personal realization. Now, here's what I mean. When Jesus began to preach, go to the beginning of the Gospels. We'll be looking at Mark chapter 1 in just a second. But when Jesus began to preach, there was a very specific message. 
Mark chapter 1, verse 15, he says, The time is now. The time has come. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. The time has come. Kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news or believe the gospel. Now, a couple of chapters later, later in Mark's gospel, when Jesus sends out the 12 apostles or disciples to preach village to village, this is what happened. Mark chapter 6, verse 12. They went out from Jesus going village to village, and they preached that people should repent. We speed forward towards the end of the gospels. Repentance is found in you know, just about every chapter between you know, chapter 6 and the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. We're now into the book of Acts, Acts chapter 2. The church is being inaugurated. Peter gets up in Jerusalem, preaches that Jesus is the Messiah, the one that all of the Jews should have been looking forward to, should have been recognizing. The people believe what he has said in light of the Spirit falling on them and all of the things that are happening. They are cut to the heart. And they ask a very simple question. They, they, there's a realization. And they go, what must we do to be saved? And Peter says, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. And guess what? You're also going to receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. We go towards the end of the book of Acts, Acts chapter 17. Paul has gone from Thessalonica to Athens. And in Athens, he's preaching to the Greeks and the philosophers and a lot of really, really smart people. And in Acts chapter 17, he says, In the past, God overlooked such ignorance, but now he commands all people everywhere to what? Repent. Peter one of the original twelve, towards the end of his life, writes this general letter that we know as First and Second Peter to the church in general. And he writes that repentance is something that God wants everyone to do. And so in Second Peter chapter 3, he writes, The Lord is not slow in keeping His promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, He is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to say it. Repentance. Repentance is a very, very, very big deal, and it's found all over the Bible. So it's important to know what it means, right? What does it mean to repent? There are four words in the Hebrew Bible and, and Greek Bible. Uh, in Hebrew, it's nahum and shuv. In Greek, it is metanoeo, and it's metamelomai. And these two words in Hebrew, these two words in Greek, four words in the Bible that mean, you know, basically the same thing. It means basically to change your mind or to change direction. I'm going this direction. I change 180 degrees and go the other direction. I was thinking that I would do life this way. I'm repenting and I'm doing life this way. And a lot of times the word repent has this idea of sorrow or sadness that's attached to it. Now, I think one of the best places in the New Testament, at least, to find out what repentance means is in Luke chapter 15, where Jesus is telling the story about the prodigal son. Prodigal son, one of the best known stories in the entire Bible. You know it. There's this, this young son, the youngest son, who does the most unthinkable thing that a middle ancient Mediterranean family could think of. This young boy goes to the father and says, I want the inheritance now while I still have a little bit of pizzazz you know, to enjoy it. 
And, you know, it's such an insult to the father, to this, this uh, Mediterranean, this ancient Mediterranean father. Because it's tantamount to saying, I wish you were dead. And I wish I could have the inheritance now. And for some reason that's unexplained to us, the father goes ahead and gives the younger son the inheritance. And what does the younger son do? The, for some reason, he gives the son the inheritance. The son takes it, and this young son heads off and does what this, this ancient Mediterranean younger boy would never do, and that is to leave the family, to leave the home, and to go so far off that he's in a foreign land, that he's not with his family, he's not at home, he's with people who are not his people, he's in this distant land. And while he's there, he loses his mind and does what no boy at that period of time would do. He squanders everything that he has been given. He wastes it on this dissolute lifestyle. And he finds himself finally in the gutter. And the only thing that he can do at that point is to do something that, you know, that he would never do as long as he's in the presence of the Father, and that's to take care of pigs. It's the most vulgar thing that could happen. And not only has he hired himself out, and he's, he's with something that is distasteful and vulgar and just out, you know, it's out of his mind, working with pigs, but it says he's starving to death in the foreign land, away from the Father. He's lost his mind. He's squandered everything, and he's dying. And then one day, it dawns on him what he has done to his family, what he has done to his Father, what he has done to himself. And as Jesus tells the story in Luke chapter 15, verse 17 begins this way, when he came to his senses, when he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out. That is, I'll turn around and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. It's a true statement. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Probably true. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. Repentance, my friends, is about coming to our senses. Sometimes it involves a lot of sad emotion, buckets of tears, cut to the heart. But repentance is mainly about making a change of direction in your life. It's about making a change of direction in where your life is going. Jesus, when he was beginning to preach that the time is near, the kingdom is near, repent, believe the good news, Jesus was basically telling people that they were going the wrong way and they needed to turn around. Jesus told people that they needed to give up their way of doing things, their way of doing life, for a better way of doing things, for a better way of doing life. In other words... Jesus was saying to them, humans are on a road of brokenness that leads to death. And Jesus says a turnaround is what is needed. What is needed is to get on the road, having turned around, that leads to life. Now, when you th think about repentance in the ancient Middle Eastern world, it basically meant, you know, changing your mind. You know, repent. I was going to do this, and I'm going to do this, so I repented. But theologically, it's so much more profound than that. Because of the recognition of who God is, 
the recognition of humans are and what is at stake and what is being offered. And so if I were to give you more of a theological, maybe a, a very compelling, maybe even a gripping definition of repentance from the Bible, it is this. Repentance is the continual and literal moving from what kills us to what saves us. Repentance is the continual and literal moving from what kills us to what saves us. Now, you know as well as I do because, you know, we've all seen it. There's a lot of apologizing in our culture. Someone gets caught in something that they can't deny or something that they, there's no way out. They go on social media. They apologize. Maybe something like this. I take responsibility for my actions and then this is followed. I want to put this behind me and I'm ready to move on with my life. When we think about what it means to live in the kingdom of God and what is being offered and who humans are, and what is being offered by God and who is offering it, there is so much more than just being sorry and moving on when it, be, when it comes to being a disciple of Jesus. Biblical repentance is about becoming a different kind of person. Biblical repentance is about becoming a different human being. It's about the realization that something is wrong with being human. That we are destructive and we are ruinous to ourselves and sometimes to a lot of other people. And if we keep going, there is going to be at the end of the road a catastrophe. Repentance is not just there at the beginning of your life as a disciple of Jesus, but it continues with you throughout your life as a disciple of Jesus. Repentance is what keeps you on the trajectory of discipleship. When I was roofing houses in college and graduate school at, in Abilene, you know, 150 years ago, there was, you know, a rule that you would go up about four or five rows of shingles and then you would measure again because all it took was a little quarter of an inch that by the time, you know, that first foot, you're off a quarter of an inch. By the time you get 20 feet, you're way off unless you adjust, unless you change the direction and it's back on trajectory. This is why it's one of the building blocks that gets you to spiritual maturity. Now in 2 Corinthians chapter 7, Paul describes what real repentance looks like. And he also gives us, at the very beginning of that passage we're going to read in just a second, he gives us the really true benefit to, to repentance in this life. And in fact, he starts with that repentance, and he, or that benefit, and he says this, real repentance leaves no regret. Now, just a word here about sadness. We, we are broken human beings. Humanity is fallen. The creation is fallen, right? And so we know that it's not perfect. It's not the way that it's supposed to be. We accept that. We don't like it. And we suffer because of it. And at times we try to do things that keep us. But the, but the suffering is going to be there. No rhyme or reason. It's just there. And sometimes it's not even moral. There's no explanation. Sometimes it's just there. Sadness. You cannot escape sadness in this world. But you can regret. There is a difference. Regret is knowing that there were some things that I could have done, I should have done, I would have done. I maybe ought to have done, but I didn't do it, and now it's too late, and now I have the regret. 
Paul is telling the church in Corinth, and he's telling us at Mac, you know, 20 centuries later, that there is a way to move regret out of your life, and that is to make changes, to make decisions, to come to realizations that things need to change in your life in such a way that you do take action on that and move away from regret. Real repentance leaves no regret. Sadness is going to be there. Real repentance leaves no regret. Now, notice that's in the very first sentence. Starting 2 Corinthians 7, verse 10. Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret. But worldly sorrow brings death, lots of regret. See what this godly sorrow has produced in you, what earnestness, what eagerness to clear yourselves, what indignation, what alarm, what longing, what concern, what readiness to see justice done. At every point you have proved yourselves to be innocent in this matter. Notice that there are seven things, seven descriptors that Paul uses when he describes what godly sorrow or real repentance that leaves no regret looks like. He starts with this. There's earnestness. I mean, what does it mean when you're earnest about something? It means that you're sincere. It means that there's this intense conviction about the particular subject that you're concerned about. But not only is there this earnestness, but there's eagerness. There's no hesitation. Something needs to be done. There's no hesitation. It's eager, ready to do the right thing. In real repentance, there's this indignation. There is this this personal sense of having failed before God, of having fallen short of the glory of God. And Paul says there's also this alarm when you realize, you come to this realization that something's not right, that you're off trajectory as a disciple of Jesus. There's the awareness of the danger. Red flags are whipping in the breeze. Something has to be done. There's a longing, a strong desire to get back on track. Concern, seeing your action and connection to other people and how it might have affected them. And a readiness, willing to do something to get back on trajectory. That's how Paul describes real repentance that leaves no regret. That there's an earnestness, an eagerness, an indignation, an alarm, a longing, a concern, and a readiness to make it right. So three quick things, very practical things, when it comes to living a life of repentance as a disciple of Jesus. Number one, come clean. Come clean. you got to be deeply honest with your life. How often do you consider your life in the kingdom of God? How you're doing? Are you you making any headway in your desire to live a life where you look like Jesus of Nazareth in all that you say, all that you do, the things that you value, where your affections are, your emotional life? How are you doing in the kingdom of God? And even ask the question, who is the king of your life? And you have to answer honestly. Living a dishonest life, living a life in which there's not honesty about who you are is a really awful way to live, and it's painful at times. For most people, they experience a a taste of that in their adolescent years where they're beginning to separate themselves from their parents and to become their own people, their own decision makers. And as a part of that life, there's things that you begin to keep to yourself and don't share with anybody else. And there are times when a life like that, a secretive life, is just a hard, hard life. So David says in Psalm 39, Show me, Lord, my life's end and and the number of my days. 
what, what David is asking for is, is help me to see what my life looks like between now and the end of life and to realize that that's not a whole lot of time and to pay attention to what's happening in my life. One of the most important things you can do as a disciple of Jesus is pay attention to your life. And then number two, confess your sins. You know, think of your life as this gigantic heart. And when something good happens, there's a positive thing that goes, you know, a plus sign that's in that heart. And when you do something rotten or bad or something you're not proud of, or you say something you're not proud of, or you think something you're not proud of, it's a negative sign. And so what is the typical way that human beings deal with all the pluses and the minuses in their heart with other human beings? They talk about how great they are. They talk about how wonderful they are. They, they want you to know how great they are. And so the thing that we really talk about, and it may not be considered bragging, it may be just the way that we talk about ourselves, but it's always the good stuff. When is the last time you had a conversation with somebody and they said, you know what, I did this and I did this and I feel really terrible about it. But that's what we do. It's out of the heart the mouth speaks. All of the good stuff leaves because that's what we talk about and what is left in the heart. All the negative stuff. And that's why James, the brother of Jesus, says, confess your sins to each other. So what happens, you know, when you have somebody special that you're close to, that is a safe place, a trusted place for you to speak, and you talk about, you know, out of the heart the mouth speaks and the bad stuff comes out, what are you left with? James says, confess your sins to each other, pray for each other. And then finally, correct trajectory. Are you online with the gospel? Are you on trajectory with the kingdom of God? David writes in Psalm 25, Show me your ways, Lord. Teach me your paths. David is concerned about the path he's walking on, and he's honest enough to recognize that it's not supposed to be his path. It is supposed to be the path of God. And he's asking God, show me the path. He, Teach me about the path. In Psalm 23, he, he, the, the statement is, He guides me along paths of righteousness for His name's sake. Correct trajectory when it's time to correct trajectory. So you come clean, you confess your sins, you correct trajectory, and that's part of what it means to mature and to grow up as a disciple of Jesus. You know, Martin Buber was this, this Jewish mystic. Uh, I've told you this story before. He writes about these two travelers that were in a dark woods, and it was night, and it was a dangerous woods. There was danger that was lurking behind every tree, and the storm was brewing, and the the the, the two travelers were lost. And lightning struck. And the foolish man just looked at the lightning. While the wise man saw the path that had been illuminated by lightning. You, you know, there's an old hymn that we sing, Amazing Grace. It's one of my favorites. I don't think we sing it enough. But I love the words. Because it describes us, right? Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved Dave what? Wretch, like me, I was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see. Repentance is what you do when the lightning of God's Word, the, 
the lightning of the life of Jesus comes near and you see a path to move forward. So move. Let's stand and sing.